We're studying angels tonight. I apologize. I don't have any slides. Um, just didn't have as much time this week to get ready for class, but uh, we'll have a good study tonight. Now that we've laid all the groundwork and we've gone through the biblical terminology for angels, we can get into some special studies of angels. And I want to do tonight one that is, uh, well, a lot of these are really perplexing. This is one that is particularly perplexing. And we won't have all the answers, but I hope that it will really interest you. We're going to talk about that character of the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. Before we do that, I need to get a couple of ideas in your head. Uh, you're all very smart, so you probably all already know this. I'm just asking you to recall these ideas. The first is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, it is true. Excuse me, true that the Bible says that God is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. There is one God. But the one God is three persons. And so the doctrine of the Trinity says there is three distinct persons in one divine essence. Sounds like a contradiction, maybe a bit of a paradox, but we're not saying there are three persons in one person or one essence in three essences. There are three persons in one divine essence. I can't completely wrap my head around that, but we're not supposed to be able to fully understand the nature of God. We are human beings and He is higher than us. And by faith, we respect the biblical teachings on that. You can't make sense out of the Bible, including tonight's study of the angel of the Lord, without seeing the unique nature of God in that way. Some of that is brought out uh, all the way in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, where you see the name God in the Hebrew term Elohim, which is plural. But you'll notice singular pronouns and singular verbs used in connection with that plural noun. Um, and it even comes out in the English translations where God says, let us make man in our own image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So you see that from the very beginning. And then, of course, in other passages such as the baptism of Jesus, Jesus claimed to be divine. And the Father from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descends as a dove on uh, Jesus. All three persons are present there, showing us that we're not talking about one person changing forms. These are three persons with three different roles, but they're all one divine essence. And you can't have God without the Son, you can't have God without the Spirit, you can't have God without the Father. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. But that's not what our lesson is about. That's just one idea you've got to get in your head in order to understand this lesson. The other thing I want to draw your attention to is, is another review. Uh, we studied names last year, and when we talked about the names of God, You'll recall we talked about the name Yahweh. 
which is uh, sometimes uh, we sang a song tonight, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. Jehovah is not really the, the proper way to, to say that Hebrew word. Yahweh is closer to it, uh, the best guess that we have at it. Uh, this is the covenant name or the personal name of God that he revealed first to his servant Moses at the burning bush. Uh, Yahweh is the one true and living God. And the name Yahweh comes from a Hebrew stem that is related to the word to be, the verb to be. And it has the sense of the self-existent one. He, you can't say that God was, you can't say that he will be in the future. You, the only explanation you have for him is that he is. You see, he is always present. It's kind of the idea that's packed into that name, Yahweh. And so those two ideas I, we need to get in our heads before we conduct a study of the angel of the Lord. Uh, the Trinity is three persons in one divine essence, and the personal name for God is Yahweh. So I, I should also mention in your English translations, except... Um, I think maybe not the King James, whenever they want to indicate that you're looking at the divine name, they will use LORD in all caps. Now sometimes you'll see LORD capitalized, but every letter is not capitalized. When you see LORD in all caps, you're looking at Yahweh, the divine name. I don't know why they don't use Yahweh, but that's what they do. So now we know what we're reading when we come across that. So let's go to some passages. And the first appearance of this character, the angel of the Lord that we're studying tonight, is in Genesis chapter 16, pretty early on in the scriptures. And this is the record of Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, whom she gave to Abraham in her impatience to have a son. It was not the will of God that Abraham should have a son by Hagar, but um, when she did, he blessed her and blessed that son. There was tension between Sarah and Hagar and um, Ishmael, the son that was born after this. And as a result, uh, Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar and she fled. And so let's start reading Genesis 16, beginning in verse 7 which says, the angel of the Lord. Now note, Lord is in all caps there. So we're looking at the angel of Yahweh. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then he gives a prediction. Um, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. 
So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And so you have a couple of indications here that this is a special angel, no ordinary angel. The first is that this angel isn't reporting on what God will do. The angel is reporting on what he himself will do. Notice his use of the personal pronoun in uh, verse 10, I will multiply your offspring. It's an unusual thing for an angel to say. And then she reflects on it and believes that this was God and that she had been seen by God because this person visited her. That's the first uh, reference to the angel of the Lord. Now, a couple of chapters later, in Genesis 18, we get a little more insight into who this is. In verse 1, no, chapter 18... Oh, that's okay. I'm just having fun with it. Uh, Genesis 18, verse 1, we're told that the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. Uh, but he, verse 2, lifts up his eyes, and who does he see? Three men. So his eyes register... Three human males. That's what he sees approaching him. And we read that the Lord, again using the term Yahweh, told Abraham Sarah would bear a son. And when she laughed because of her age, we read that the Lord gently rebuked it. He said, no, but you did laugh. And then we come down to um, verse... I'm in Genesis 18, verse 16. Now watch this. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, and ask yourself, who is he talking to? There's three possibilities. He could be talking to Abraham. He could be talking to himself. You know, just introspection here. Or he could be talking to the the angels. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord speaks. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So, verse 22, the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. To whom was the Lord speaking? in verses 18 through 21. Now, it's unusual to read passages where you see an internal monologue of God. 
this, if that's what's going on here, this may be the only passage where that kind of thing happens. If he's speaking to Abraham, well, then why do we have what comes next where he tells Abraham what he's going to do? Why would he ask Abraham, Abraham, shall I tell you what I'm about to do? Uh, that doesn't seem right. So in the context, it appears that he's speaking with the angels, which reminds me of some of the passages we looked at regarding the divine counsel, Job 1, Psalm 82, Psalm 89, where God is speaking with some high-ranking angels surrounding his throne, and, and he doesn't need them, but in his nature, he is sharing with them his thoughts and his judgments and hearing their feedback. But he's still judge and he's all-knowing. And uh, this passage, among others, show that he doesn't rely on others to make his judgments. So back to the text. Verse 22 tells us, The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Now, does it say how many men went toward Sodom in that verse? It just says the men went. So if you're reading this for the first time, you might think three men showed up. Three men went down to Sodom, right? But go to Genesis 19, when the men arrive at Sodom, what does verse 1 say? Two angels came to Sodom. So three show up at Abraham's tent. Men go down to Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord, Yahweh, and then we see that two angels arrived at Sodom. Interesting, right? Let's go back. Genesis 18, 23. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And Yahweh said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now it's not spelled out for us. What is the only conclusion you can draw about the angel of the Lord? Jesus Christ. Oh, well, that's part two of the lesson. I, come on, let me build some suspense here. Uh, what I'm aiming at is that one of those three angels was Yahweh. Because Abraham still stood before the Lord, and then two angels go down. So one was not like the others. He was special. And uh, that's about all we get from that. Let's go to Genesis 32. Genesis 32 is that strange night where Jacob 
encounters a man and wrestles with him. And I won't read this whole thing. I just want to um, search for the identity of this character. One thing to note is that they wrestled until the dawn was breaking, so light was coming on, and there was a risk of Jacob seeing this person in his full glory. And so the person with whom he's wrestling says, let me go, verse 26, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And you know, names were identities. What is your identity? What does the name Jacob mean? Supplanter, which, which means deceiver or cheat. So it's like Jacob saying, I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. I get through life by my cunning. And the man with which he's wrestling says, you're no longer Jacob, but Israel. Israel means he strives with God. And he says, you're Israel because you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He gave him a new identity. Look what happens next. Jacob says, please tell me your name. Now remember, it's not just a description he's wanting. He's not just wanting to know what to call this person. He's saying, who are you? What are you? What, what is going on here? And what is the answer he gets? Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And after that, Jacob said this. He called, verse 30, the name of the place Penuel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So we just look at that text and we think, okay, this man was God in human form. Not sure what that is like or how that is possible, but just reading the words of the text, that's all we get. Jacob thought it was a man. It was God in some kind of form. And that's it. But the prophet Hosea comments on this and gives us a little bit more information. Let's go to Hosea chapter 12. And I'm looking at um, verses 3 and 4. Hosea 12, 3 and 4 are about Jacob. In the womb he took his brother by the heel. Now that's the literal meaning of Jacob. He takes by the heel, which was an idiom for supplanter or deceiver or one who trips others up. So he's bringing up his name Jacob here, his identity, his initial identity before the striving with the mysterious man in the, in the dark. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with who? God. Okay, the divine. But then, what does the parallel statement in verse 4 say? 
he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. Now, in Hebrew, God there is just the pronoun him. But then the next line, and there God spoke with us. So is Hosea mixed up here? Did he forget what he was writing? Oh, it's God. No, it's an angel. No, it's God. Or was it the angel of the Lord? I submit to you that all those texts make sense and you can harmonize and reconcile them all by identifying this character as the angel of the Lord who speaks as Yahweh in Genesis 18 and um, who speaks as God in Genesis 16. Okay, moving on. Uh, I don't need to run out of time here, so let's, um, let's go to Exodus 23. This is one of the most important passages. Uh, he is mentioned in Exodus 3, but uh, we're not going to have time to explore that. We'll go to Exodus 23. This is one of the more important angel of the Lord passages. Exodus 23, look at verses 20 and 21. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Now the name of the Lord is holy. The name of the Lord is used synonymously with the Lord. So you don't throw that around flippantly. When it says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, it means don't treat God profanely or in an empty or worthless way. It's not just a descriptive, it's an identity. And he's saying, this angel is God, is equal to God. So that's a very important passage as well. And it may not use the, the phrase angel of the Lord, but you see similarities with some of the other things. Now go to Judges chapter 2. Judges 2. Out of nowhere, here comes the angel of the Lord. This is after the, uh, the death of Joshua, and there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. And so, you know, the people are not respecting God. They're going after idols. And Judges is setting up this cycle of oppression and or sin, oppression, prayer, deliverance, and then back to sin again. But in Judges chapter 2, we read verse 1, that the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Okay, now we know that we read in Exodus 23 that the angel brought them 
from place to place. God said, I'm going to send my angel. He's going to lead you. This character is saying it was he who did that. But he's also saying he's the one that made a covenant. It was his covenant. Verse 2, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, they lifted up their voices and wept. And that's why they called it bokum, because it means weeping. So very interesting appearance there. He shows up uh, in Judges again to the parents of Samson. At first they think they've seen a man of God. But then verse 16 says, Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And uh, a similar statement is made to the parents of Samson that we read in the event where Jacob wrestles the angel. They ask his name, and he says, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So he won't give his identity. He won't give his name. So why does he refuse to be identified? And why does he speak as Yahweh? It's because he is Yahweh. He is a person in the Godhead. And it's very important to recall the Trinity says that there are three persons in the Godhead. So you never have the identity given, and, it's, and the character that you're reading about is very careful not to identify himself. Uh, so now I want to take you to a prophecy in Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament. We're all wondering who this character is, and we want more information about him. And so a good starting place is we kind of pivot toward an identification of the angel of the Lord is Malachi chapter 3. This is an important prophecy that has to do with Christ's ministry. It mentions two people. See if you can identify who these two people are. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who is that? John the Baptist, no doubt about it. In fact, later he's referred to as Elijah uh, in Malachi chapter 4. And Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Elijah is John the Baptist. So we've got no problem with that. Let's read on. He's preparing the way for me. This is God speaking. And the Lord, notice all caps, Yahweh, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now I submit to you that the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight is a different person from the messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord. And what does the word angel mean in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Messenger. So the word for angel 
is the word translated messenger here. There's some wordplay going on here. But he's talking about an angel that he connects with himself whose way will be prepared by John the Baptist. That's interesting. And it makes us wonder, could the angel of the Lord have been Jesus in his preexistent form? That is, in his form before he was born as a human. Jesus has always been God. He remains God. But he wasn't a human being until the first century when he was born of Mary. Let's look at a few New Testament passages quickly. Uh, John 8.56. Jesus is having this discussion with the Pharisees trying to stone him. They're accusing him of being blasphemous. And he makes this statement in John 8.56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. When did Abraham rejoice to see Jesus' day? Well, could it have been Genesis 18 when the angel of the Lord visited his tent? Also, two verses later, he says, Before Abraham was, I am which is the name the angel of the Lord gave to Moses at the burning bush. Very interesting there. Hebrews 11.26 We read there that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now if Christ just appeared on the scene out of nowhere, out of an eternal dormancy, where he was doing nothing from creation to his birth of Mary, then why are we reading in Hebrews eleven twenty six that Moses considered the reproaches of Christ greater riches? Seems like he would say God or something of that nature. But the writer of Hebrews seems to think of Christ having been involved and active during the days of Moses. And then 1 Corinthians 10.4. Remember the angel of the Lord led the Israelites through the wilderness? Exodus 23. Compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul says, and did all, he's speaking of the wilderness wanderings, they all drank the same spiritual drink. drink. Uh, you remember the waters of Meribah? Moses struck the rock, water came out. But that's how God gave them water, and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. How does a rock follow people? Well, now he's thinking of rock in terms of God as a rock of strength and stability. That rock followed them, and that rock was Christ. There was a leading through the wilderness of the angel of the Lord. And Paul is saying that Christ was there. That's interesting. One last passage. Don't y'all love racing through these passages? I'm going fast enough to where you can't ask any questions. This one. No, that's not what I'm doing. It's just a lot of material. 
I just discovered this last night. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm still thinking about this, but the bell hasn't rung, and so I decided I'd just throw it out there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So God gave the revelation to whom? To Christ to show his servants. Okay. Show them the things that must soon take place. That's the first sentence. So put all the subjects and verbs in the right places. God gave a revelation to Jesus to show to the servants. Second sentence. He, who's he? God made it known. What does the word revelation mean? That which is made known. God made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. If you write those two sentences, one above the other, and connect the subjects and the verbs and the, uh, the, the um, what's the last part of the sentence called? Predicates. Predicates. Thank you, Will. If you line them all up, you've got God sending his angel, sending a revelation or that which is made known to Christ or an angel to his servants or to his servant John. Now, I realize the word angel can be translated messenger. So that's what some people who are uncomfortable with this idea will say. Well, it's just saying Jesus was the messenger that brought the revelation to John. Okay, but there's still a lot of interesting things in there. I can't say it with 100% certainty, but there are some very compelling passages of Scripture that seem to identify the angel of the Lord with the pre-existent Christ. And at the very least, we can say this was no ordinary angel, as we've been talking about in this class, but the angel of the Lord was one who could forgive sin, who could speak as Yahweh, who worked as Yahweh, who had all power, and uh, so was uh, God himself. So we'll leave it there and uh, pick up with another special study next Wednesday night.